Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease again with another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Uh, super excited for this guest. His name is Kevin Gaither. He's currently the SVP of sales at ZipRecruiter. I've known Kevin for, gosh, I guess about seven or eight years now. Um, and we've watched each other's careers go, grow. We've called each other for advice on things from time to time. Um, so Kevin, thanks for coming on. We're really excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to help and share. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the goal of this, I'd love before we even get into, um, you know, sort of the growth mode, because that's the thing we want to talk about is, for context, what kinds of sales cycles have you worked with over your career? You know, are they nine-month sales cycles? Are they transactional? Have you done them all? Like, what's what's your, just so people have perspective. Yeah, I've I have done them all, <laughs> I've been in them all, but I've gravitated towards what people mostly now refer to as high velocity sales, where you're talking, you know, six to maybe 20 sales uh, in a, you know, in a month. It's not like, hey, I do five deals a day that, you know, to me, I look at that as high transaction volume, uh, but uh, very much done the enterprise sales where it's, nine month sales cycles and a long time to wait for a commission check for these big deals. Uh, but my, I feel like where the sweet spot is for me is the high velocity selling that has become, uh, and you see that, and you see that different than transactional sales, right? You see that different than the one to three call and nothing against it, but the Yelp call, right? Like no. you see it as some different, those different things. I do. The, the fundamentals have still occur, but in a very short, shorter period of time, uh, and usually lower, lower dollar amounts, but absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, do you think it's the time it takes to, that defines high velocity versus transactional or the size financially? I think it's part size. It's part your, your buyer persona and your customer profile. And of course it's very much your, you know, your product, you know, there, uh, there's salespeople, as we all know, over at, uh, you know, GoDaddy and, and, you know, it's just, you know, you know, every couple of calls, they're nailing, they're nailing a sale and it's, you're still doing some discovery, but the product value, you know, hundred bucks maybe. Uh, so it's, it's a combination of the product, uh, the buyer persona, the length of time. There, there's a lot of things that play into that, but um, to me, it's mostly the product side. What did you, yeah, what, what is it about you and your personality that makes this type of arena, the one that you love to play in the most? Uh, I grew up playing sports, man. And, and I, and I, and I like to, I like to win. Uh, and the, you know, the long, the long, real long game of, uh, of uh, enterprise sales is something that, that we're good at. And, uh, and I, and I understand how to, how to win at enterprise sales. In fact, we're doing it, uh, quite, uh, quite well at ZipRecruiter, but, uh, but I, I like the idea of, you know, six times a month, 20 times a month, I'm getting that positive, you know, reinforcement, you know, hit, hitting singles and doubles as opposed to always trying to yeah. go for, uh, you know, go for home runs. Uh, I played lacrosse in college and it's like, there's 20, 20 goals a game in lacrosse. and like, that's right on. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I love that I mean, as opposed to. Scott, yeah, you just your long lost twin brother. I know he's my old, he's my older brother for sure. Um, More I, too. I, I, I played sports, you know, my whole, my whole life as well. And I've, I've often described it as I wanted to go to work every day feeling like I had the opportunity to win mm -hmm. and, and I would have that high from closing a deal, at least one deal. Um, and 
if I didn't close a deal, I literally wanted the pain and the agony of, of losing that particular day. So every day I wanted to feel like game day on some level. Um, and you know, it, it, it was, it's difficult for me even now, even as I've moved way up market, it's difficult for me out for me now to kind of grapple with like, well, you know, uh, going to move this deal from stage 47 to 48 over a 12 month kind of cycle. You know, I, I can't, it's hard for me to get up for that kind of, that kind of fight, you know? Hey, Scott, I have a question about it. You, you, Scott, you're the closest I know to doing very much what Kevin's done. Would you agree with his definition of sort of the difference between high velocity and transactional? There's something different, or do you still see them as the same? Or just out of curiosity, like, what do you think? Well, I, I don't think that they're as different as Kevin does. If I'm understanding his definition right, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, but um, you know, I, I, I wrote a book that was kind of focused on transactional sales based on a lot of my early experience in my career. Um, and, and, you know, the average rep would do about eight to 10 deals a month. The really good rep would do about 20 deals a month. And I called that transactional sales. Now, did, did that mean I used the wrong term? I don't know. Maybe I used the wrong term. Um, so just feel kind of the same to me. I, I, and it was certainly more of a, you know, let's make 50 to 100 kind of calls a day environment and maybe we get one or two deals a day. Um, but I can understand what Kevin means. If, if you're GoDaddy and you make five phone calls and you close one deal every five phone calls, it's like shooting fish in a barrel, right? That's a different kind of, that's a different kind of beast right there. Um, I don't even know what I would, I would barely even call that selling to be honest with you. You know, I, one of the things I've observed after, you know, being, doing what I'm doing is we've done it for as long as we've done it. You know, the three of us is that there's, there's no, uh, there's gurus who write blog posts and books, but there's, there's no real definitive, uh, definitive guide that people go to and say, ah, well, here you go. This is the definitive guide to B2B selling with all the definitions that's in a, you know, a textbook that people study in college and, yeah. uh, and, and things like that. So there's no question about it. And, and you know what, potato, potato, <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing deals and we're doing it faster than, than we are in nine month sales cycles. And I think you and I would agree though, that even if it's a deal a day to keep your boss away, you're still following a lot of the fundamentals uh, of, of sales. If the oh. discovery is quicker, the, the way that you negotiate, it's quicker. Uh, they, they happen faster, but that doesn't mean that the fundamentals of sales don't apply if you're doing five deals a day or one deal a quarter uh, or 20 deals in a, you know, in a, in a month. Yeah. Um, uh, all I can say is that I, you know, what I've experienced and what's been good, what I feel like is a sweet spot for me is that high velocity sale. But if somebody wants to call it transactional. Yeah. I, here's, here's a question for you that, that I've run into through my, um, through my recruiting and building and scaling these organizations, um, both in a mid-market enterprise sale as well as the transactional kind of arena. I have found that it is far easier to take somebody from a transactional environment and move them up market and kind of file down their shark teeth, so to speak, than it is to take somebody who's from an enterprise sale and put them in a transactional market and try to teach them how to be a shark. You're nodding your head. I feel like you agree with me. 
all these names, Scott, are going through my head of when I tried <laughs> to convert people because because ultimately what I I found is that they, they um, these people who were used to longer sales cycles would uh, get into the role, and then as we started to have those inev inevitable performance conversations, they would then say, you know, I really am more used to developing long-standing relationships with these people and the da-da-da-da-da and all the excuses that, that come with that. But I certainly can tell you from re real deep personal experience that going the other direction and taking somebody that is highly transactional but also very coachable, also very coachable, and putting them into the, into the enterprise environment with the longer sales cycle uh, that, that certainly, that certainly can work. Um, I'm not saying that that's a certainty, but I have observed what you have observed. And in fact, as far as in, in my checklist, in the recruiting checklist, like just the basic yes, no questions, uh, is, you know, tell me about the job that you've done. Uh, in fact, you can envision a grid in your, in your mind. I've got their last three jobs and the similar questions and I can rapid fire go through it. Hey, at the last job, what was the sales cycle? How many deals a month did you do? What was your average order value? Okay, great. Next job before that. And I go through the same questions. And if the pattern is long sales cycles, two deals a month, it's yeah. like, this isn't going to be a good fit for you when I'm asking you to go knock down 12, 12 sales a, you know, a month. You're going to be whining and moaning about how you don't develop these long, deep standing yeah. relationships and get to know their cat. Yeah, yeah. You're muted, Richard. As you bring up, as you bring up sort of your recruitment process, and I know you, Kevin, like you long before ZipRecruiter, you were always about interviewing and good interview skills. And I remember talking to you a long time ago about that stuff. Now that you have sort of found your niche, right? You found where you are. What are the things aside from sales cycle, aside from, you know, previous experience that you look for in a rep at this sort of, you know, well, not sort of, but at this high velocity, you know, 10 to 12 to 15 deals a month kind of thing. What are, what are those traits you're looking for? Um, I actually don't look for anything special uh, about a rep in transactional versus high velocity versus, versus enterprise in particular. Um, I'm, and I've written about this. People can go you know, look this up. I'm looking for drive. And drive is broken into three major components. Need for achievement competitiveness and optimism. Anybody can go search for my name and, and those, those characteristics. You'll see how I've written about that quite a bit, spoken about that quite a bit. If I have those three things, need for achievement, competitiveness, and optimism, I, I've got a salesperson that I, can, that I can work with. I want somebody who's organized, highly organized, especially in a high velocity sales model where you're, you're, you're juggling a pipeline that's going to have maybe 60 opportunities in it. You, you know, you, you've got to be highly organized, highly coachable. Um, but the main characteristics I'm always looking for, Richard, is need for achievement, competitive and optimism. And collectively, I call those drive. What I was saying before, of course, is in my checklist, though, I've got drive. Yep, you're driven. But are, have you been in roles that are similar to this role? Because guess what? Unlike mutual funds in the stock market, past performance can almost certainly guarantee future results. I, I've got a, a follow-up question or two. 
on, on your kind of uh, definition of drive. Um, maybe one is more of a statement. You, so I don't disagree that the, the salesperson needs to be super, super organized. What I find a bit funny and ironic is how fucking disorganized and scattered most salespeople are. Like this is not a skill set that comes naturally to a lot of salespeople. No question. And, and I have often said, you want to separate yourself on a sales floor and, and kind of move into management and, and continue go, going up in your career. Um, be really organized. Mm -hmm. and, and that's really hard for some salespeople. No question. How, how, how do you teach people who are not naturally organized like that to kind of calm down and slow down their mind and get their shit together, right? Um, can you talk a little bit and expand on that a little bit for me? Uh, yeah. So, um, well, first thing uh, I can, again, the names of people just start flowing through my, my head of people that I found that were um, so organized and Salesforce was so well, just, oh, everything looks fantastic. Pre-call planning, wow, amazing pre-call planning. And they would never get on the friggin' you yeah. know, phone. So, yeah. so no doubt. Those are the kind of, those are the kind of people that some reps should just hire as their like data dungeon assistant. They probably produce at an, a totally different uh, level. Yeah. Right? No, no, no question about that. In fact, one of the things I did at business.com way, way back when was actually separated that role out. And I had people that were just those data entry right. people to like fill, you know, fill it in. But um, so, you know, look, uh, zebras don't change their, change their stripes. If somebody is going to be highly disorganized, they're always going to be highly disorganized. And so when the, the environment that we try and put them into is one where we hold them accountable to their pipeline and understanding their, their pipeline. And in fact, like a broken record. And, you know, when I run pipeline meetings, you know, now with my, with my sales team at scale, I'm asking the same damn questions, <laughs> same damn questions about, um, Decision maker, decision making process, timing. Hey, that close date there is that their close date or your hopeful date? Right. And I've been doing that <laughs> since 2001, like a broken friggin' record. And of course, what do I what do I expect to see, Scott? I expect to see what they say in Salesforce. So it's just a matter of when we go through go through the discipline. It's like this is what I expect to you know expect to see. Granted, their desk looks like absolute mayhem you know for yeah. sure and are the mess yeah right? you know play where's their playbook i don't know playbook yeah. someplace else yeah. you know who who knows dog ate their homework and my my follow-up question uh has to do with with optimism um yeah. and i'm curious how you define that um i have my own yeah. definition that i've crafted for myself so my family is from buffalo niagara falls new york historically okay so if you know anything about Western New York, we, we just don't deserve nice things. And we're eternally like, you know, negative or bitch and moan and what, and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my friends, Richard probably included, would accuse me of being pessimistic. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I'm pessimistic. I think that I'm a near-term pessimist and a long-term optimist. Mm -hmm. Meaning I feel like the sky is falling immediately around me, but... I know I'm going to be okay in the end. So I'm curious how, how you're kind of vetting for optimism in salespeople and, and what they're, and, 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 
and, and just how you're defining it. Because what you don't want is a sales team full of hopium that That's thinks right. every deal is going to come in, That's right? right? And there's blowing smoke. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, so let, let, me, um, let, let me back up a little bit, okay? I, I feel like my job is to make sure to temper, temper the positivity and optimism with the objective questions to understand whether or not, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, overly optimistic. Okay. Now let, let's back up to the definition. Um, I'm, I'm looking for people that have, that have thick skin. Okay. They're, they're resourceful. They're going to go up over, under, through things regardless. They've been told no. And, uh, and they're still going to persist. Somebody, one person says no, they're going to call five other people on that sphere of influence, uh, regardless of the fact that they said no. In fact, I think of this woman, uh, her name is Alicia Andrade. All these names start going through my head. She got crushed on a call, hung up on, on a call, and she literally stood up, looked over the cube next, and I was her manager. She looked over the cube and she went, KG, I guess I'm just going to call somebody else. It's their, it's their problem, not mine. And I thought, my God, you like demonstrate this, like you exude this optimism that you're going to, you're going to, you know, win. There's no question about it. Thick, thick skin. Cause let's, let's, let's look at it this way. Scott, if you and I had a sales force filled with Debbie Downers, people that were just didn't believe that they, they can do it. Oh my God, you know, whatever. Can't have that. I, correct. So, so I can't have that. Yeah. Uh, but I want people that are going to believe that they can win, that they can persist that one, two, three, ten no's, and that, that's fine. I'm just going for yes, uh, going for yes eventually. I'll get there eventually. Um, I, I can deal with that. I can't deal with the Debbie Downer. So I'll ask, during the interview process, I'll ask questions that'll sound something like this. Um, Scott, tell me about the last time you lost a sale. I know you're a superstar, but I know you lose sales from time to time. Tell me about the last time that you lost a sale. You'll start telling me about this sale. Then I'll ask, Scott, what did you do next? And what they do next is the most important thing in understanding where their level of optimism. Did they have to go outside and smoke two cigarettes? Did oh, they have to, did they pull 10? Don't get me started on that. Right? Did, did they have to go pull 10 people into this, into the snack break room to talk about how crappy it was? They lost this deal and our product sucks. Our price is too high. Did they go running into their boss's office to bitch and moan? Or did they go running into their boss's office to say, Hey, I, I lost a sale. I can't talk right now. I got to get back on the phone, but I want to debrief on this sale and how I can do better, but I'm going to get back on the phone right now. And I'm going to go, you know, crush some more, crush some more sales. Let's just make a note of that. that that's really, really important. Um, another, another question that we'll ask is, tell me about the last time your boss gave you feedback, negative feedback about your performance. And just like the last question, Scott, the most important thing is, what did you do next? What did you do about that? I told you that you just screwed the pooch okay yeah what did you do about that did you go run to hr or did you go download a bunch of books in audible to make yourself better and develop a development plan with your boss to get better at that and hold yourself accountable what did you do next and there's a whole series in fact um if anybody wants to go dig online they could literally go find all these interview questions that i ask uh, and in the history of this, I have only had one salesperson that told me they downloaded all my questions, 
wrote out answers and were prepared for an interview. So I dare anybody that wants to go do that, go right ahead. I hope they just type them up and email them ahead of time at this point, right? It's yeah, here, here you go. Like, hey, hey, Kevin, here's just, just, you know, I don't want you to ask me the same stuff. Dig yeah, right. deeper, Kevin, right? right. Prove right. to me. So um, I've just been sitting back here for the last few minutes and I'm just watching the two of you fall in love. Like, it's so fun. <laughs> so, um, I've known you guys so for so long and, um, you know, I, I, you guys get along and, you know, I know one day Scott's waiting you for to have a big exit and go hire him because you would be the kind of boss who would be like, Scott, go do it. I know you know how to do this. Like, just make it happen. <laughs> are, are you kidding me? I've inherited so many of Scott's reps. I think I'm going to have right. to cut him in every on time, Every time Kevin has said so far during the podcast, every time he said these names are going through my head, I'm thinking to myself, I know exactly what names you're talking about. Yeah, who is, yeah, the same, same ones. Yeah, exactly. So, so Kevin, so. Step, step back a little bit for coming out of this stuff. I want to come back to the interviewing stuff because I know you're, you are a guru on that stuff. Thank you. But like, were you the kid, aside from playing sports, were you always sort of business minded? Were you the one who was, had a lemonade stand or doing stuff or where did the money part come in for you? Let, let me tell you, man, no one ever told me that I should ever be in sales. In fact, going door to door and selling for the Boy Scouts and my baseball teams, you know, the chocolate bars and all this kind of stuff, scared the living daylights out of me. Same. Did, same. Did not, yeah. same. Uh, I had no interest in being in sales. Asking strangers for, for money, are you freaking kidding me? Scared the daylights out of me. But I'll tell you, um, uh, when I took my first job out of school, uh, was I was at a mutual fund company and at the time we were in a mini recession and so I took whatever job I could get 10 bucks an hour headset on uh, customer service 1-800 dial Ben how can I help you and what I realized very quickly was that the person sitting next to me made a dollar per hour more than he did uh, sorry more than I did and that drove me up the wall and I said well why do you make more money than I make and he said well because I've just been here longer well meanwhile I had tested higher than he did. I was training people uh, in the job and he was not training people in the job. And I thought, wait a minute. So I got to wait till the end of the year to like get some money to get better than this, this person. That's ridiculous. Uh, and then I ultimately ended up getting the largest, largest raise in the department. And that was a 9% raise <laughs> off of 10 bucks an hour. And I thought, that's a load of baloney. What can I do to control my destiny and control my income? Because by the way, what was, what was driving that right there? Competitiveness. It drove me nuts that this guy who wasn't nearly as good as me sitting right next to me was making more money than me because his butt had been in a seat longer. I wanted to get paid yeah. for, for the work that I put in. So I, uh, I said, I need to get into sales. And my parents, it was as if they saw a, like a truck coming at my head. They're like, no, don't get into sales. What if you missed your quota? What if this, what if this? And I just said, I can't not be in sales. I have to do this because it's either start my own business, which I didn't have the guts or the money to do, or get into sales and, and earn money based on the work that I put in. And the very first commission check I received in my entire career in 1994 was $19,000 and I was hooked. <laughs> I was hooked from That's your first commission check. Yeah. 19 grand. And I bought myself a 30 big inch television. 
I bought myself a 30 inch tube television set and put the rest away. Cause I was like, I'm never going to listen to deal ever again. <laughs> <laughs> but what, um, talk, talk to us a little bit about you've scaled, you know, what, what's the smallest team you've managed? What's the largest team you've managed? What's that like? Um, you know, smallest team, uh, smallest team was probably about two to two, about four or five people. It was a couple of salespeople and some SDRs. Largest sales team, about 500 plus people. Talk to us about that. Like, um, you know, I, I know you've been in ZipRecruiter a while. Um, and, and as you think about different things, what are the things you learned going from five reps to 20, 20 to 50, 50 to 100, 100 mm -hmm. to two? Like, just in general terms, like, what's, yeah. what's so, that take? Uh, so th this, this is where I like, I thank my lucky stars that I did not grow up with people saying, KG, you got the gift of gab. You should be in sales. Uh, because everything that I've had to do in my entire career, regardless of the size of sales teams that I have um, been fortunate to lead, uh, it, I had to learn. I had to learn things. And way, way, way back when, when I first got into leadership, the one thing that I learned was that I'm ultimately extremely lazy and would like to go on vacations from time to time. And, <laughs> and so it doesn't matter if you lead a four person sales team or a 504 person sales team. I always have to, uh, and this is going to sound morbid. So viewers, listeners, forgive me. The way I think about things is if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, or if my manager got hit by a bus tomorrow, would this team continue? Or am I some sort of a bottleneck? And in fact, the smaller the sales team, the more critical that is because the tendency to be the bottleneck in, in certain circumstances can be more prevalent when the team is small because you can kind of just sort of get away with it. But you are not setting yourself up. I learned the lesson the hard way. You're not setting yourself up for future success and scale. Like when the company is ready to scale fast and you don't have a, a system, a system that's ready to scale, now you got to take your four person team to your 10 person team, 20 person team, but you don't have your recruiting processes set up. You don't have your onboarding set process set up. You don't have your pipeline review set up. You don't have your sales process. You don't have sales force set up. You don't have your performance review uh, process set up. If, you know, these are all things that it doesn't matter if you have four people or 504 people, you've got to do that. So answer the question. If I got hit by a bus tomorrow, what, what would fall apart? And in fact, yeah. here's your pro tip. Do go on a vacation. Do turn off your email. And when you come back, identify what went wrong. <laughs> what yeah. went wrong? And, and tell your team, I'm turning off my email, but you've got my mobile. So call me if there's something that is, that is yeah. you know, dramatic. In, in fact, if you go on vacation, man, I, I wonder if this has happened to you. Because <clears throat> I've gone on vacation before. And, and sales have gone up when I've been away. And I've got the texts and the phone calls like, hey, Scott, you should just fucking stay gone, dude. We're better without you. And I'm like, well, it seems to me that I've built a team yes. that is able to survive me getting hit by a bus, which yes. means I must be pretty good at what I do. Thousand percent, thousand percent. Look, look let me just tell you, let me just tell you, there was a guy that I was, that I was trying to coach uh, that I was trying to coach probably about eight years ago. 
who was that bottleneck. I saw that he was the bottleneck and I kept telling him, you are a problem for this business. You'd better figure out how to not be the bottleneck. And, he, and you know what he said to me? He said, when I'm the bottleneck, I've created job security because everything comes through me. And I said, dude, you could not be more wrong. You could not be more, more wrong because that means he doesn't trust the people. He doesn't trust processes. Uh, everything has to go through him. And they don't and, trust him. That's right. And in, and in short order, Richard, uh, he was removed from his, uh, removed from his, his job. And guess what? The person that came on created scalable systems for this, that, and the other. And, and, you know, some people just, like I said, zebras don't change their stripes. Some people just won't, they, they, they won't be coachable and listen to that. But again, but, but no, no doubt about it. Like, you know, you know, four people, four salespeople, and that's great. And you get to know them very, very well. And you develop a real deep connection. Unfortunately at, at scale, those kinds of deep connections don't happen at the same, you know, at the same level. But what I've learned is that, uh, is that, you know, the, the check-ins, if you will, with your sales teams uh, and being present with your sales teams is, uh, is actually becomes a really important piece of the job as a, as a leader of a very, very large team. There was a guy who, that I met who led, uh, led um, uh, Citrix go to meeting uh, and he had something like 600 salespeople over four different uh, call centers across the United States. And he was traveling like you wouldn't believe. They were all inside sales teams, no outside sales teams, all inside sales. And I asked him the question that people ask me all the time. You have all these inside salespeople. What the hell are you traveling so much for? And he goes, KG, my job it now at this level is in part about presence. It's about going into those office. It's about sitting down in on the floor next to a salesperson and providing them that shoulder to shoulder coaching to let them know that you, you are there and that you care and that you're not just some, you know, nice picture on the annual report or in the, or, or on the, you know, leadership page, you know, they really get to see KG sat down next to me and I got off a call and KG gave me coaching on that, on that call or helped me with something in, you know, in particular. And, um, that's actually been really hard for me because I'm used to rolling up my sleeves and, you know, getting things done in particular and not just being like in part that person of presence. Yeah. But, it, but so how, 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 do you, how do you deal with that? And this, this ties into something that we touched on before we started recording. Um, Kevin's over here getting faxes, getting deals. That's how, that's how old school he is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Kevin, you're hey, older I'm, than, you're, are I'm, you older than Richard? Is that a machine going off? What is happening? My VC, my VCR still flashes twelve. By the way, too, I don't even know. <laughs> how how do you? So this has been my my challenge. Like, it's kind of more importantly, no, I'm a year older than Kevin. I think. Okay, that's good. That's good. This is one of my challenges. Is like once I get to around five hundred people in the company. I feel like I struggle to continue to make an impact because my presence is not as important or as needed. And also like, I can't go to all the offices anymore and I have to be kind of anchored at HQ. And so my whole career, like I've, I've had six jobs as a VP of sales. Five of them, I would say were, were successful to very successful. Um, 
all of them were two and a half to three years, except for the one that wasn't a miss. But you've been where you're at for six years and gone beyond that threshold. But I just heard you talk about the difficulty of like, you know, stepping back a little bit and not being able to make that kind of same impact. How have you dealt, how have you dealt with that? I need you to teach me right now. Uh, uh, well, first of all, no question it's hard. Um, uh, number two, uh, I continue to, um, hiring my leadership is of course incredibly hard to get that, um, to get that right. And of course, what I'm trying to uh, create is these, you know, how do I, how do I, you know, create my playbook and per, uh, not permeate, but like get my playbook distributed through the, you know, through the leadership such that, uh, that they are an extension, uh, you know, of, uh, of me. But, but honestly, man, there's a little bit of letting go. And I've, I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that. There's, there's a little bit of, you know, letting go and, uh, and trusting. Letting but go of what though, Kevin? Letting go of what? the day, like the day-to-day -day types of things. Okay. So when I, yeah, the day-to-day -day types of things. So I'm not paying attention at the granular level to the talk time or the impact calls from one particular team or, you know, or, or another. Um, I'm looking at the inputs and the, and the outputs uh, at a broader, at the broader scale, but knowing okay. that it's, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to give the listeners like, Oh, inputs and outputs at a broader scale. Like you get to this team of four or 500 people. What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, I actually, I stole this one from salesforce.com uh, and some of their leadership over there. Uh, even the great salesforce.com focuses on activities, meetings, and pipeline. If we're looking at just results charts, like looking in the, it's like look driving and looking in the rear view mirror all at the, you know, at the same time, that just looking at the results charts. But activities, meetings, pipeline, what's that, you know, what's that input uh, that, that goes in it? So that's the input and the, in the, you know, the outputs there. But now I, you know, I don't know the names. I don't know the names, uh, you know, to that. And there is a difference. And I, I actually coach CEOs on this particular topic. There's a difference between the delegation and the abdication. Okay. And I think that I think that this, the the VP of Sales uh, Scott that will uh, listen to this and and likely fail are the ones that are that they're like, hey, here's what we need to do. It's real simple. Just hire managers from our industry. They should know what they're doing and, and, and let's just, and just, you know, let them be them, let them do them. You know, let me just say, I screwed that up six ways to Sunday, six ways to Sunday. I messed that up because I made those assumptions and they were wrong. And so that's when I learned the real critical difference between abdication and delegation. Abdication is okay. Just you run, you, you just run, you just run your show. The, the delegation is, is about, Hey, this is my vision for my team. When we're in the KG system, this is how we operate. We're talking about scale. We're talking about accountability. We're talking about, you know, a whole variety of things in that, in that way. And that's, and unfortunately, uh, it's going to sound odd, but, you know, I need to get everybody, you know, singing out of the same hymnal. Uh, I, uh, because I've made that mistake to where it's like, well, this manager, they have their own way of doing it. And then they have this manager, and, and, and then there I am in HR's office talking about how this manager has just gone AWOL and they're doing this one thing because we're trying to terminate a rep over here on a different team who's being held to a different accountability standard. Man, have I learned that lesson the wrong way. So again, that's the, 
that's the difference, Scott, between the you know the accountability and the and the sorry the uh, you know delegation and, and abdication. But but I'm but I, I feel you. I, I don't know if I've cracked the code, Scott, on on how to how well, to. You're, still, you're, you're you're still there, going on year six or whatever. So you've certainly you've cracked it more than me. You've cracked it more than me. Let's just leave it at that. So you, you know your your tenure. And we were joking about this a little bit earlier. You know you you've been at ZipRecruiter six years in a sales leadership capacity, growing and those kinds of things. Yes. The average tenure is 18 months. Yes. Right? Yes. What are you doing right? Where are you keeping your mouth shut? <laughs> what do you think you're doing? Um, I'm sure some of it has to do even with your own leadership, but what advice do you have for those, you know, those, those VPs of sales who are like, I, I can't get past this 18 month, maybe two years, but I sure as hell never get to four years. Yeah, you know, I would tell you, well, okay, so <laughs> I, I feel like I'm moted by like, uh, you know, fear, fear and greed, like all at the same time, like I want to win and I want more. And I don't mean greed, like in like, um, just, you know, just the money, like I, I want to win, I want to win, I want to win. But man, I am shit scared, <laughs> shit scared, because I know that there's somebody right behind me who can take my job and who's learned something new that's going to be better. Uh, and, and so I am, you know, constantly reading books, listening to podcasts, uh, listening, well, actually I consume books on audible, so I'm not reading, you know, books or what have you. Um, but continuing to, to learn best practices. And, uh, and in fact, I, uh, I have a new boss actually at, uh, at ZipRecruiter. And one of the things that I said to him was, you know, you, you may think, that things are going great because the charts are, are going up and to the right severely and fantastically. But the way that I look at it is yes, but I see under the covers and I see all the things that are, that represent the areas for improvement and the things that we can do wrong. And by the way, that's how I state them. I state them as areas for improvement. I, I sniff these things out to make them, to make them better myself. The problem ends up being, and I know this because my peers, you know, it's like, geez, every year they're just changing jobs, you know, um, they, they don't go sniffing those things out. And in fact, oftentimes they try and everything's fine. Don't worry. Everything's fine. And in fact, I encourage, uh, I encourage my leadership. Tell me when these, there's these problems. And so I think that a demonstration of seeking out these problems myself, recognizing that we can be so much better and, and incrementally making improvements you know to our business on a on a regular basis you go looking for like do you go look for job description stuff in the job description stuff in the interview pro like what kind of problems are you seeking out so that you can say hey i think we should get better so, or, or so, is it at this stage where you've got enough managers where you can say hey guys what are your three biggest problems let's see if we can figure out how to fix it like how do you do that yeah that way that way too but I, i'm a huge fan of skip checks huge fan of skip checks I, uh, sorry. What is that? Ah, yeah. Sorry. I'm using vernacular. So, um, I'm skipping past my management to go right to where I think the source of a problem is instead of, instead of, you know, waiting for the distillation, uh, I'm going to go right to the source of the problem. So for example, um, literally in the last 60 days, I conducted 44 30 minute interviews with people on a team where I thought that there was a problem. And, and I went past my VPs, past my directors, past my frontline managers, and was speaking directly to a source. And I compiled 84 pages of notes 
and I'm compiling those myself to identify where those problems were. I wanted to hear it myself. That's, 20, that's 22 hours, Richard, if you're trying to do math over there. <laughs> yeah. I know how to do math. Come on, okay. Scott. I, just, I mean, he did go to Arizona. Let's not fault him for that. That's why I'm asking if he knows how to do math. If, he went to, to Arizona, Arizona, if he went to Arizona State, Kevin, he'd be able to do math. You'd think, you'd think. So, but anyway, my, my point was is that that's a, let me just say, that's a huge pain in my ass. That is a huge pain, a lot of time that I'm investing, but I was seeking something in particular. And the good news is, is that, is that I identified five, five things, five things that were in our control that we could fix about the hiring process, about our proposal process that was, that was slower than it, than it needed to be. I identified leadership that I needed to remove. I identified a whole, I hope five things because I went straight to the source. And guess what? Guess what our Q2 uh, objectives and key results are, are around. Right. But, but I went straight to the source my, myself. How do, you, how do you then lever, how do you, and again, you've been somewhere for six years, so you know, your, your managers shouldn't be shocked by you doing this, right? But how do you overcome that, hey man, he's, is he disrespecting me? Am I on the, you know, am I on the chopping block? Like, how do you, how do you manage your managers that, hey, this is a good thing? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do that? Because I, yeah. think, I think that would be very scary for some heads of sales. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, a tap dance. Like, this is, this is where, this is where I, when I'm talking to my managers that I'm going to do this, it's a very sensitive conversation. And the way I'm positioning it is, you know, look, we agree that we want to make things better. I, I want to find out, you know, I want to find out the truth straight, straight from the source. Would it be okay if, and there's never a time and, and I then never a time where I get a manager who goes, uh, no, you, you can't talk to my reps or my managers or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, uh, and, and cause I position it as, you know, look, let's, let's get better. We want to get better. You know, there's, there's challenges, there's problems, you know, at ZipRecruiter, we talk about, um, building a rocket ship attached to the ZipRecruiter rocket ship while it's in flight, okay? So, and the ZipRecruiter, you know, the rocket ship is the sales team attached to the ZipRecruiter enterprise. Generally speaking, we're, bo you know, we're both building the, the rocket ship at, uh, while it's in flight and we take an asteroid and a wrench to the head every once in a while, you know, as we're, as we're doing it, but, but, we're, but we're moving, okay? And people that come on board, they're drinking that same Kool-Aid. Look, we're building this thing together. We're building this thing together. We wanna make it better. So I try my best to make sure that I'm not hiring people that aren't willing to, you know, hear that, you know, hear that feedback. But honestly, by hitting it right on the head with my leadership and saying, hey, Jane, is it okay if I go speak to your managers or, or Bob, can I go talk to your sales reps? You know, and this is Bob, the VP. And I'm saying, I want to go all the way down and talk to the pro tip, by the way, make sure you tell the sales reps that it's that it's an okay and safe conversation. <laughs> I've made that mistake where the the sales reps are like, "Oh my god, the SVP wants to talk to me now." Is today my last day? <laughs> I've made that mistake too. So yeah, you got to make sure. And well, I, I think so. The biggest piece of this is one to do it, but the other piece is, you know, and I know you is very open communication. Mm -hmm. Let people know that you're doing it. Get their buy-in on it, right? Yeah. Um, don't do it behind their backs, right? Don't just sort of pick up the phone and do that. Um, but that, that was really good. I'd, I'd never heard that sort of skip 
comment that you made. So I'm glad you shared that with us. That's cool. It's incredibly powerful because it signals to my leadership, my boss and the, you know, the C, all the C-level, the suite, you know, when we're having conversations, here's what I'm doing to sniff out problems. And, I, and, and, then I, and then I can develop the action, the action plan. And I can assure you that in most organizations, most SVPs, most Cs, they're not doing skip checks on a, on a consistent basis. So this actually then ends up looking like uh, an amazing thing. It's time consuming. It's not difficult. It's time consuming. It's not difficult. And you'd be shocked at, at, uh, at the great information that you'll get out of this. Assuming that you live in a culture that is focused on areas for improvement. There are plenty of companies out there, you know, Scott, Richard, you guys have come across them where uh, people, uh, people get slapped when there's problems. We, yeah. we, we go, we, that's we, what Scott did when he hired me all yeah, the time. That's what I used to do to Richard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Still sometimes he because, does. Because I was getting slapped. Right. One, so. one of the, one of the quotes that my, I love from my CEO, which really demonstrates what our culture is at ZipRecruiter on the, in this particular topic, we never lose. We either win or we learn. Right. And, and I, great, fantastic. So I'm going to, I know we're getting a little bit close to the end, but I, I forgot to bring this up at the beginning is that, you know, Kevin is the originator of shit. My sales manager used to say, you know, he <laughs> really? that yes, he taught. And I called him one day and I said, Hey, do you mind if I start quoting on this stuff? Like, can I do this? He's like, go for it, man. Go for it. Go for it. So I didn't, Scott, you clearly didn't know. That's where I learned it from. Was from no, Kevin. I, didn't, I didn't know that yeah. at all. So, so that what are your latest what are your latest call, quotes from them? They they uh, they call them Gaitherisms, and at one of my last jobs, uh, my leadership team actually put together a Google Doc of all the shit that Gaither says. I and, have one of those. I've taken mine and oh, done that. Like I need to publish it. Yeah, you should. You should. So, Kevin, let me let me ask you three rapid fire questions in a row here. Do it. Can I do that? Please. Okay. Do you spend time training your sales organization and, and sales leadership team on equity and what it means and what they might earn and the, the implications of it all and all that kind of stuff? Or is that, is that not a part of your um, purview? I do it on an opportunistic basis because my, my team doesn't understand. Uh, most people don't understand stock options, equity, RSUs. Uh, and I, I am fortunate enough to have come from the financial services business. So I actually have a better knowledge about stock options, generally speaking, and then, you know, incentive stock options being something different. But I, I do not, uh, I don't proactively produce content, but um, uh, you, some of you, you, you two have probably heard me say this, you know, my phrase, Scott, isn't always be closing, you know, that's, that's not my phrase. My phrase is always be helping. And so when people come on board, I tell them, I can help you in sales and sales leadership, but there's a whole bunch of other life things that I can help you with goal setting and paying down credit cards and uh, understanding stock options and what the hell 401ks are and, and, and uh, retirement planning stuff. I can help with a lot of those things, uh, which puts me in a different light as a mentor and a guide and an yeah. advisor. So no, I do not have a standard deck where I go through what stock options are. But certainly, when can I, um, can, can I be so, can I be so bold as to encourage you to do that for your for your team? Yeah. I, I think I think some of us um, have a responsibility to try to bring some of the things that are in the shadows into the light. 
that would, be, that, would be, that would be my ask of you. Kevin, I would even tell you, if you're willing, I've seen Scott put this deck together that teaches people about it. Uh, he'll tame it down a little bit because there's a little bit of aggressiveness about, you know, you're never going to become a billionaire as a BDR, which we all know. But I would tell you that Scott's done a really good job with it if you ever wanted somebody like that. Like I think people and anybody who's listening, Scott would love to come in and teach that to people. It's really good. I'd love to learn. Second, second, second question. Let's say you're going to go build a, a brand new sales organization, you know, right now. What's the first hire that you make? I ask you this question because I've been asked this many times before and, and I don't know that I've heard anybody have the same answer as me. And so since you're currently my older brother that and Richard is, is thinking that we're following in love, falling in love, I'm wondering if you're going to have the same answer as me. Yeah, uh, I, I suspect that we might vary, but all I can tell you is that what I have done when I've built teams is uh, the, the first hire is a hunter. Uh, and I don't know if, the, if you would agree you know, with that, but that, that is what I have done in my career for better or for worse. I hire a hunter, but then I look for, you know, what's 20% of their time look like? 20, 30% of their time is in, you know, um, uh, um, lead generation type of, type of work. Great. Now my next hire is going to be a BDR or some sort of person to do lead research or something like that. But I'll, but I'll start with the hunter first. Why? Because if I'm building, if I'm not hiring something that is revenue generating right out of the gate, there's going to be questions about what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and, and so I, I look for the revenue generation first, but I am so coachable and I'm very interested in what your opinion is on that with the rapid fire question number two. Yeah. I, I actually hire a uh, sales operations person oh. because, because, because I don't want to spend my time in the weeds building reports and, and, you know, I would, I would jump in Scott and say, Kevin knows how to do that. Kevin will be the ops person for that hunter. Cause I yeah, know, I, I know he's, of course he will, of course he will, but he's nodding his head because it's not an efficient and effective use of his time. I, I totally, I totally get it. And I, yeah. I, you know, Scott, I go back and forth on this uh, because an operations person, I cannot, and Richard and I have talked about this so crisply, it's hard for me to like tie specific revenue growth and revenue, you know, an attribution to revenue generation to an ops head. And if y'all have pro tips for me on that, I'd love to talk uh, offline yeah. about, uh, about that, but that's yeah. fascinating. Your first hire would be an ops hire. Yeah. Last, last question of the three rapid fire questions. Assuming this journey that you're on ends someday, and ends and ends positively and and successfully and whatnot. What do you do next? What do you do? What do you do? What do you What do you do next? No, I want to know. I mean, you know, you, you've been super successful. You've built and scaled God knows how many sales organizations. Like, what's the? Is there a next challenge? Can you see yourself going back to the beginning and doing the same thing over and over again, or is there something different? Yes. So. Um, uh, I've asked myself that quite quite a bit, and uh, and so I cannot see myself going to a you know ten thousand person company and and uh, you know leading a big bureaucratic company. It would have to be very much in a pre IPO startup type of environment uh, where I can build, fix, and grow something. I mean that's uh, that it's it's what I like to it's what I like to do. Uh, you know, here's a little fun fact for you, Scott. 
I graduated with a degree in architecture of all things. I started with a degree uh, in art, uh, aerospace engineering, but due to my social activities, failed calculus a few times. But the but the but the general uh, the general motivator was I wanted to ideate on something, plan for something, build something, and then see the results of that build. Uh, like a like a rocket taking off or a building on Park Avenue, these are the things that switch me switch me on. And what I've learned is that being in startups, I get, a, get the opportunity to build, fix, and grow, and be able to ideate on something, plan for something, build it, and and see it you know see it grow. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's not so big, but I get the thrill of the the thrill of the building, which is probably why I don't hire the operations person first. But let's not go back to number two. Um, but, but remember I said, you know, the other thing that I like is, is helping people, you know, I'm on this call and I like to share what I, what I know, um, advisory roles like you do, Scott, uh, that, that switches me on and I, and I'd like to do a lot more of those board seats and helping companies consulting, uh, not to, not to cut into Richard's, uh, Richard's business. Uh, but there's a lot to go around. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of business to go around. We have abundance around us. Not but, on enough uh, boards, so don't worry about that. But, but, but the idea of going to a large 10,000 person company, Scott, and being the CRO, um, that, that doesn't switch me on even in, even in the slightest, because you know what I like to do, Scott, and I think you do too. I like to come in in the morning and say, you know what, today we're going to, and that ain't gonna happen if I'm at a 10,000 person company. Cause it's like, well, today we're gonna, but I'm gonna have to talk to 10 other people and run it through legal and run it through HR. Oh, yeah. and make sure you check with Betty over there. You know, that, that ain't my bag. I can't do that. That's literally, so, my, that's literally my hell. So, so the, the, the next question is Scott, you know, at the end of this pod, at the end of this show, is Kevin gonna get a rose? <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that might be the title of this episode is does Kevin Gate does KG get a rose? So uh, <laughs> Oh my god. Look, man, I, I you know I hold I hold Scott in high regard. I look up to Scott. So I, I don't know why the rose would go from Scott to me, man. Like he's he's demonstrated by the reps that have come to me that that he is the bomb diggity and I and I only look look to uh, aspire to the kinds of things that Scott has done time and time again at, at, uh, at different companies. And that's, uh, that's not, um, that's not just a, you know, hyperbole or, or, or BS, you know, remember you and I have Scott, Scott, uh, Feinstein in common, somebody yeah. I've known and trusted for a long, long time who speaks very highly of you. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I should be sending the rose your way, man. <laughs> what, what can we do to, what can we do to help Kevin? How can we help you, your team, Zip? You know, we always sort of like to turn around to your point. How can we be of help? How can we be of service to you? You know, keep sharing best practices. Is there, is there, you know, new things to, you know, new things to learn? You know, I, I, uh, uh, you know, if there, if there's some new, new techniques and somebody's able to figure out how do we tie operations to a, to a revenue number, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, figure those, uh, you know, figure those things, uh, figure those things out. Scott's got um, that. I think. Scott, you have that play, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he does. Get, on, get in touch with Claire Morris and Scott Lease, and uh, I guarantee you they will put turn you on to how to make that happen. Yeah, that that'll be uh, that'll be very helpful. Thank you for asking. Of course, of course. Well, man, this has been fat. Like this thing flew for an hour, man. This was awesome. Yeah. Really, really fun. Always as fun as as a friend to get to see you and talk to you about stuff. But on a professional level, every time I talk to you, I'm just like that knowledge. That's knowledge. That's knowledge. So thank you for sharing your wisdom yeah. with us. Appreciate yeah, it. thanks a lot, Kevin.
happy to help. Thanks. Thanks for having me anytime. Anytime. We'll do it again soon. Cheers. Enjoy your night. You too. Cheers.